We are at the end of Genesis chapter 3. We have been at the end of Genesis chapter 3 for like four weeks. Why? Because we have been studying through Genesis very ploddingly and methodically, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, to understand where we are today. We cannot fathom, we cannot grasp who we are unless we understand what God says about who we are and where we come from. Otherwise, we're just grasping at straws. Um, everybody knows something is wrong with the world. Something's wrong with me. Why does my back not work properly? Why do kidney stones form uh, with the regularity of the sunrise? Um, why does cancer ravage people? Why do bad things happen? And apart from Genesis 1 through 11, largely, we don't get a good understanding of the mess that is the world. And so that is why we have been anchoring here. Um, so for those of you who are, are coming in, this is going to be probably a little uh, weird. We've been talking about the consequences of what is wrecked in this world from the glories of the creation. Because at the end of Genesis chapter 1, everything was good. It was all good. God saw everything and everything was very good. And then because of man's treason, man's relationship with the living God was wrecked. Man's relationship with the world was wrecked as God curses Adam, he didn't curse him physically, but in the fact that he was going to die, to dust he would return. But he specifically cursed the earth, that the earth was now going to be essentially at war with him. How great. Uh, our bodies are broken. We know this. Uh, our relationship with our fellow man, we spent almost two weeks looking at the various ways our relationships with one another are broken. Warfare, uh, abortion, euthanasia, racism, all of these things, uh, and many others. Last week we looked at uh, self-defense. You know, is there a justification for that in this broken and fallen world? And uh, we started looking at broken marriages. And so we're going to pick up there. Some of this may be a reiteration from last week um, as I was kind of joking with Katrina beforehand, God's word says the same things over and over and over and over in a lot of different places. You go, why? Did he forget that he wrote that already? We did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> That's right. You know, uh, on Wednesday night during our prayer time, we're looking at the Psalms. Dumb, stupid sheep is, is uh, how the psalmist, this, psalmist describes us as sheep doesn't include the dumb and stupid but that's what those animals are <laughs> sheep are pretty no, there, there's grass just walking away and, and not paying attention to what's going on um, so we're going we may reiterate some of the stuff we were looking at the different roles in marriage between man and woman and Men and women are created differently. For some people, that's, that's like, whoa. 
In some ways, men and women are the same. There are some ways we're similar physically. Adam recognizes, ah, here's one like me. All the animals that were brought to him, eh, nothing. But here's one like me, Isha, his, his woman that God created specially for him. She was like him, but different. Um, each one, male and female, he created them. Male and female, both in his image. No distinction in chapter 1 other than the maleness and the femaleness. At the end of chapter 2, we, well, in chapter 1, one of the commands God gave to Adam and Eve, what were they? What were the commands? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it, sub, you know, subdue, have dominion over the earth. So you can bring order to the chaos and really make things beautiful. Jeremy's going to be talking about that in the sermon today about how God has made things beautiful. This whole world is not just gray. It's not monochromatic. Um, if I see things in a monochromatic way, there's a problem with my eyes. My brother, no kidding, my brother is, is stone deaf. His auditory nerves are cut. He cannot hear anything. Happened at 23, but before that, he could hear the beauty of music. He was an avid music junkie uh, from the classic rock of the 70s. And he still quotes lyrics all the time. But if my ears don't work... Uh, the, it's, it's not the world that's broken, it's, it's my ears. Music is still a great and wonderful thing. But moving this into the marriage relationship, we see that men and women are distinct. That we are to, in marriage, have families. That was part of God's command. That was not rescinded. In fact, as they come out of the ark, which we haven't gotten there yet, uh, God is going to reiterate that very command. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. <clears throat> so one of God's clear intentions in marriage is that you are creating, oh, and not just a, a buddy that you're going to hang out with because I like doing things with my wife. Hopefully that is the case. Uh, but you're going to create a family. It is a natural byproduct of being married. Let me restate that. It was a natural byproduct of being married. Until birth control became a really big thing. Previously, it was family planning. You know, and... You go, okay, hey, this is maybe a bad season, and so let's be careful there. Uh, okay, it's a good season, and okay, if the kids come, the kids come. Some families couldn't. Some families were barren. Some families, the, the, the woman is uniquely gifted and uniquely suited for making babies. And they'd have ginormous families. 
that way. Is the woman's job with the child completed at delivery? No. Why not? Because the child can't survive without the woman. Okay. And once again, this was this this went without saying for thousands of years. Up until about the last 100, 200 years has it only become a thing. Um some women have difficulty with milk, and so what would they do? They would cows, goats, whatever, before they had go to the store and buy a can of stuff that you put into a bottle and uh, allow your child to survive. So there was still the mother's involvement with the child until when? They leave them and then maybe. Well, I mean, think back. Let's. It's really hard for us in our day and age to kind of think, okay, let's... Now, okay, we're going to take them to daycare or whatever, or get a nanny. Um, at what point would the children essentially be out uh, from under mom's direct supervision care? Boys, they are old enough to go work with their dad. Yeah, when the kid could go out in the field with dad. All right, or the daughter would be helping with what? The other kids that were coming along. So in times past, can we say without shame or flinching that in the marriage relationship, the wife's domain was largely centered in the home? This is why the, the term homemaker came about. And it almost pui became disparaging in about the 50s and 60s. You know, you're going to stay home? Well, why? Um, so, we're in a time now where... I don't have to make my own clothes. I can buy them. Uh, I don't have to wash my clothes. Um, anybody darn their socks? You get holes in <laughs> You get holes in your socks, what do you do? What do you mean? Go to Wally World. Yeah. Okay. So desperation... Leads people to, a lot of times, good stewardship. Um, can a woman... Well, let's, let's talk about... Let's, before we get into that. What about taskings in the home? Any, any guys here like to cook? Okay. Uh, I think Frankie Garibaldi is like... He's like the bomb... Uh, as far as the cook is concerned. Um, and now, when men can cook, they usually cook better than women. 
So, what about days long ago? Was the man going to be the cook? Why not? He didn't have time. How long did it take to prepare a meal? I mean, to go to the refrigerator, pull out the thing of Tupperware because we had chili left over because it was in the freezer, and so we just heated up the chili in about 10 minutes, and boom, we're sitting down eating. That didn't happen. Are you kidding me? Huh? You had to chase your food. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully Dad had already done that, or yeah, the kids chasing the chicken around the chicken coop. Okay. Yeah. That kind of thing. Had to be cleaned. Uh, what about the stove? Yeah, no. Chopping the wood. Got to go get the wood. Got to get the fire up. Got to get it at the right temperature. What if you wanted to bake bread? I mean, right now you just open the door, open the bag, and pull out the bag and make a peanut butter sandwich. Well, no, you had to bake the bread. Okay. All right. So all of these things, we just go, yeah, this is, oh, we just take it for granted. Man, it took time. There was no way the man was going to be the cook. Nobody would ever eat. Cooking was like an all-day process there. The morning, morning's done. We got to practice. What about the midday meal? What about the evening meal? You know, one thing gets done, and in between, you're doing all those thousand and eight other things. Turn to Proverbs chapter 31. This is called the biblical guilt trip for women. (laughs) Actually, uh, for me, this is my commendation to men. um, Because this was written by a man about his wife. And this is how a man should speak about his wife. I want you to start in verse 10 and just start scanning down and go ahead. This can be a, this can be a cacophony. This can just tell me what she does. From 10 to the end. What? Okay, she willingly works with her hands. What else? She brings food from afar. Brings food from afar. She does her husband good. Ooh. Oh, hard. that guy. Rises while it's still night and provides food for her household. Let, let, let me just stop for a minute. Rise, rises early in the morning. I'll come back to that one here in just a second. Um, television today, husband-wife relationships... <laughs> Where the husband speaks well of the bride, and the bride speaks well of the husband, it's it's rare. Um, where the man honors his wife when he's away from his wife, and he honors his wife in her presence, it is a rare thing. But that is God's intention. There, that we, mm, eh, do each other good. Our blessing. Okay, she rises early. She rises before it's dark. If anyone's going to eat, oh, by the way, we've got to get heat in this tent or in this, I think, little house on the prairie. You know, the fire's got to be stoked there. I don't know why the guy couldn't do that, but anyway, what else? 
Ooh. She's outside the home. Whoa. She's a realtor. Or wise in her investments for the home, for the good of the home. There. What else is she? I would like to point out that it says she provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants to say she had people helping her. <laughs> for, the, for the wealthy? Don't you have eight of them to help you? That's what servants have. You know, that was one of the blessings of children to help in the field, to help, help the family grow. And with more children, actually the wealth of the family wasn't diminished. The wealth was increased because more could be done. What else does she do? She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Okay. She's a beast. Don't mess with her. All right. Anyway, bottom line is within God's word, if we look at the specific taskings within the home, they are not delineated. They are not delineated. Uh, Titus 2, where it talks about the older women teaching the younger women how to work well in the home. That is what older women are exhorted to do. Um, So can a woman extend herself out of the home? It seems plainly that she can in some ways. However, again, we have to go back to God's intention in marriage is that the home is going to be the domain, the essentially the, the headquarters in a lot of ways for what the woman is doing for the family. When might that not be so? Divorce. I'm sorry? Divorce. Okay. Let's say in an intact family. When, that, when might that not be so? When might she have to go outside the home to work? Okay. The husband is incapable. Um, what if the husband isn't bringing enough home currently? I think of it in a sense like, well, you say like he's not bringing enough home. Well, if she goes out, she's still bringing it home. It's for the home. So she might have to. Because, but she's thinking in terms of providing for the home. Okay. Provision that way. I think that part of that, though, too, is, I mean, this, this fast words to today's that we often live outside of our means and so even then and now it's like I manage our budget and so it's my job to make sure that our funds are allocated wisely okay also when when I was growing up my dad we had he my mother they married she had four and then we were five so there were nine of us the seven living at home so my mom had to stop working and I had read this much later, but they did it. My dad actually took an extra job. And so he worked. He wasn't home as much, but she was there and she was the constant. So yeah. there wasn't this back and forth kind of thing. Yeah. So that was good. 
um, I, there are husbands and wives who don't have children. <coughs> okay? Uh, there are husbands and wives who can't have children. And again, uh, technology has made it such that within the home, you can knock things out pretty quick. And by all means, uh, working outside the home is, uh, again, nowhere in Scripture condemned. All right? Um, the caution there is, will we remain oriented to God's intention for marriage? Uh, and that is with regard to family. Will I have a family focus or, I mean, more and more because of possibilities, we don't want to have kids. Kids are, are kids hard? Yes. Kids are hard. Uh, are kids a financial drain? Ish. Yeah, yeah, they are. They want to eat a lot. Yeah. Having a child is a difficult thing, but blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. We're in Psalm 127. Their children are a blessing uh, from the Lord. So am I going to have another focus? The world is going to tell you don't have kids. Maybe have one. Overpopulation, uh, that kind of thing. Stewardship, yes, stewardship, absolutely. There, but what is overpopulation? Are we really overpopulated? Will I trust that God's purpose for my life is living as he created me to be? In the context of my singleness, in the context of marriage. So what we see in the world, and you know, we talked about other, other things last week, is between a husband and wife, there is animosity right now. You know, you don't do this for me, you don't do this for me. Uh, um, I was going to go into physical intimacy. That is a huge area of conflict within marriage. In-laws are a huge area of conflict within marriage. Probably one of the biggest causes and reasons for conflict in marriage is communication. You know, you just don't talk. We were talking about this earlier. We just assume she knows what I'm thinking. You know, we get all uppity because she's not doing what I think she should be doing. How about keep you open your mouth and talk to the woman? There. Civ with civility, with honor as your as your best friend as the one God has given you to be one flesh with them. So it is, it is not surprising that the evil one in the brokenness of ourselves would try and drive a wedge between the fundamental building block of civilization and society. And that is the family by driving a wedge between husbands and wives there. Um, I'm going to move on from that. Any, any thoughts, questions with regard to marriage? And 
on that note, climbing Mount Everest isn't easy, but people choose to do it. So people are able to rise up to the challenge. Uh, slaying the dragon or, or whatever is not easy. Well, what's more difficult than marriage? If man wants a challenge, if people want a challenge, there's really no call above that is for a man and a woman to come together in some sort of unity. And it's also a foreshadow of the unity of the body of Christ with the Lamb of God. So it's a, it it's a great challenge for warriors, which is yeah. what we're called to be, uh, you know, to go to battle and, and fight for. Yeah. I mean, mar marriage is... Don't... It's not for wimps. It, it, it isn't, but it's a great thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, otherwise, people wouldn't be getting married. Otherwise, people wouldn't be living together. I mean, the, the male-female relationship is a, is a great and wonderful thing. Is it hard? Yes. Is that commitment difficult? Yes. Does it get better with age? Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. If, if you are willing to communicate, if you are willing to stick it out through those really scratchy, cutting, brambly thickets that you will encounter as you are on this climb in marriage. You know, and a sequoia doesn't grow to hundreds of feet high that fast. It doesn't get that big, that stable in the winds of Northern California in a day. Every day, every day, little by little. Okay, my broken self. Uh, last, last one here, and, and we're actually going to move on next week, I promise, out of uh, chapter 3. What is broken about me? So I went essentially the route of the newspaper reporter here. <clears throat> One of the questions people will ask is, what am I? What am I? What am I? I'm a human being, okay? That's, <clears throat> okay? As opposed to, as opposed to a what? I'm not a newt. I'm not a nematode. What else am I not? Okay, I'm, uh, I'm not God. I'm not granite. I'm not a golf ball. I'm not an inanimate thing. Okay? I'm not a plant. I'm not an aster. I'm not an apple tree. Why is it what? Okay, I'm, I'm none of these things. I am, I am, a, I am a human being. What else am I? Created in the image of God. Okay, I am. We're going to get to that in the, in the who am I a little bit. I'm just looking more at, at kind of physicality. That's good. Do you mean you specifically? I'm a male. I'm a male. Yes. You know, I've got females, males. Right here. So I am a male human being as opposed to a female human being. How do I know I'm a male human being? Down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, since I can't see my DNA, David was going for the tactful. Okay. Shauna's, Shauna's going, I've got a bunch of boys. The, the testosterone is on the wall, you know. There. Yeah, we know that. Just look on your birth I have four sons. All right. Look at my birth certificate. Well, that may not work much longer. I am a male. I am a male, and again, this is going to, this is going to, it kind of overlaps with the who am I. If I don't have some objective foundation to grab hold to, 
I mean, who would have thought that that my gender, I mean, when I was growing up, it was not a question. I mean, surely there, there were people who struggled internally with transvestism. I mean, they made a joke of it on MASH with uh, Coco Klinger. They're wearing dresses. Um, but it was a, a, kind of a wink-wink, ha-ha. But people truly do struggle with their physical identity. But I, I have to know that no matter what I do to myself and no matter what I think, ontology, reality, trumps my autonomy. I can't... I can't, you know, I can't make myself a duck. I can't because I'm physically a human being. I can't believe I'm a tree. You go, well, that's insane. Is it any more insane for me to believe I'm a woman? You know, but, and, and I, don't, I don't say that mockingly because so many people are being fed that that is okay, that we are, we are fomenting, we are uh, abetting um, these erroneous beliefs rather than helping people with their broken identity. And this is where the church desperately needs to speak reality, truth, in love and not go along with that. Now, do you think that Susan Stevens once said that she would respond to people when they say, well, I was born, say, a homosexual, and she said, mm-hmm. well, I believe you because we were born into sin. Like, we, mm-hmm. you know, and so I believe you when you say that you feel like you have no choice in this and that this is just what is indwelling in you. And so do you think, I mean... I do think that there are people who, because we are broken and live in a fallen world, like, you do feel like you are, I believe if you say you yes. feel like you're in the wrong body. We're going to, we'll, This we're, is not to say that that makes it okay and you should have right. to change, but. Right, like, Just like deafness. This isn't just a, a, you know, haphazard choice that you're making on a whim. But I also don't think she ended it like that. I think she probably followed it with, but God's word says. Yes, of course. Yes, I'm that. not, like I said, it's, I'm not saying that that's. Good. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about I'm a gay Christian here in just a moment. So what am I? I I am I am a human being. I am a male. Who am I? I am uniquely created in the image of God. How do I know this? Because God has told me this. His objective, if if it is. If it is God's word, if it is the inspired, inspired, inerrant word of God, which this church, church's conviction stands upon, which I stand upon, then it absolutely tells me that I am and you are all created in the image of God. As a bearer of his image, I am to bring him glory within the creation. And it's interesting to note, this just came out last week, and I may have said it to some of you already. We are not to make any images of God. You know, the second commandment, you shall not make any graven images of the living God. And it's interesting that he populated the earth with his his image bearers to bring him glory. 
God-appointed, God-designed image bearer. Now, this gets into what Shauna was talking about. My identity is not my sin struggle. My identity is not my sin struggle. I don't introduce myself to you. Hi, I'm Keith Pond. I'm a prideful Christian. <laughs> you know, I don't go around giving speech, speeches because I'm a man of, of pride. You know, and arrogance and hubris and all of those things. No, I am a Christian. If I am tempted to a particular sin in Christ, I fight that sin. I don't boast in that sin. I, I don't boast about that sin. You know, Paul declared himself the chief among sinners. He boasted in his weakness, but not in his sin. You know, Paul, you might, Paul seemed to have a short fuse. I mean, he punted Barnabas off the uh, missionary team. Because of a spat about taking John Mark on the second missionary journey. Because John Mark quit the first one. Um, he got all in the face of the Sanhedrin. Calling the high priest a whitewashed tomb. <laughs> after he got smashed in the mouth. So he might have had a short fuse. But he didn't go around going, I'm an angry Christian. I'm an adulterous Christian. I'm a gay Christian. I'm a trans Christian. People will, that has become, you know, what is the adjective? No, I am a Christian. If I am battling demons, if I am battling my flesh, and, and we, we talked about this earlier, I'll just, I'll highlight it again. Do I believe uh, that men... Are, are, are really, really attracted to other men. Yes, absolutely. Do I believe men feel more like women than men? Absolutely. I do. Why? Because the world is broken. We are born in sin. If my body can be born without a leg, if I can be born without a leg, if I can be born without eyes... Why do I think that my spirit is not going to be broken too? Each one of you has proclivities towards sin that are peculiar to you. And I hope you're not boasting in them. I hope you're not rolling in them. I hope... They grieve your heart. Here's another thing, though. If it is something with which you are battling furiously, I pray to God that you not battle alone. What a tragedy that here in a body of believers where we are to come alongside one another and pray for one another and exhort one another and encourage one another as long as, as, long as it is called today, that we have saints who are to the point of suicide over their sin. Be 
because they feel like failures before the living God. For us to come alongside, there is now, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Um, so who am I? Man, who, who is everybody? Everybody is, at the very least, created in the image of God. But I can say now as a believer, I am, I am a prince. I am the son of the king. Why? Because he adopted me into his family. A dude who didn't deserve it, that saved a wretch like me. Another question that drops down from people is, why am I? Why am I versus why am I not? Why is there something versus why is there nothing? And again, apart from the living God, you just go, it's a roll of the dice. You know, you, you hit the lottery. Or maybe you might think you didn't, looking around at the world today. Why am I versus why am I not? Do I have purpose? What is my purpose? The thing is, now you've got to find your job, man. You've got to find the job that you were created for. It's like finding the spouse that you were created for rather than loving the one you've got. Oh, yes, absolutely. Everybody's going to have bents and desires. You know, little boys want to be firemen growing up. Um, uh, I, I envy Royal and being an art teacher where he can you know, express that kind of thing. Uh, Ron Shagman. Yeah. Uh, so some people, they do a job and go, I can't believe I get paid to, get paid to do this. You go, man, that's great. Some people just go to work. Go, I praise God for the job that he's given me. You know, would I rather be doing A, B, C, D, E? Probably. But I praise God for the job that I have. Otherwise, man, I'm never, never going to advance anywhere. I'm never going to get anything done. Where do I turn to find my purpose? Yeah. Great, Jerry. Right there. Where do I turn to find my purpose? The living God. Where am I? When am I? I am on 8th and Travis in Wichita Falls, Texas. Why? Because God brought me here. Acts chapter 17, Paul to a bunch of unbelievers, a bunch of heathens, gives one of the greatest descriptions of why you are and where you are. I hear sometimes people specifically will say, I feel like I should have been born in a different era. You know, I, I feel like I would have been hand in glove in this particular area, era, and we have a, a romanticized view, perhaps, of that particular era. Uh, Acts chapter 17, he's talking at, on the Areopagus, Mars Hill, before all of, the, all of the thinkers of Athens. In verse 26 of Acts 17, he says, and he from one man, every nation of mankind, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, 
that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Okay? Who's determ- who determined that you would be born in this era? He did. Who brought you to this room on this day? He did. That is why you guys are all sitting here today. God's divine appointment. From one man. What one man? Adam. No, Jesus. Adam and Noah. (laughs) Not Jesus. Yes, okay. If you're going to go really high up. Adam Adam and Noah. Adam and Noah. Since everybody was destroyed, then ultimately it stems from Noah. So how many races are there? One. 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 There is the human race. A plethora of beautiful ethnicities within that. Imagine all of the DNA that was in Noah, that was in Adam, to bring about the wide diversity of humanity across the planet. Our times are determined by God. You are, okay, this might really disturb you, you are exactly when and where God would have you. I considered that thought 20-some years ago before I had children. I said, God must not have had much faith in me because he put me in the United States in America in the 1990s. Everything's pretty easy. There's plenty of abundance and everything else. Uh, Now, after having a challenging marriage and three teenage daughters, like, oh God, I think maybe you had more faith in me than I ever did because this world we live in in 2021 is a challenging world. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with COVID. COVID's just one of many symptoms. Yes. Uh, But uh, broken marriages, suicides, you know, it's all part of the world that we live in right now and it's challenging and if God put us here here and now, he must have some good plans for us. Absolutely. Um, how am I? That's kind of a weird question. How did I come to be here? You came to be here through your parents. You are on a you are on a timeline. You are on a timeline. You have a heritage that extends before you. Uh, and again, that is a God ordained place to be. Now, the problems that that we end up having with ourselves, probably the biggest one is depression. You know, when we think of self-problems, uh, depression comes to mind. Who are we going to turn to for counsel at those times? Who should we t- turn to for counsel? God. God and our church. Okay, God and our church. God in his word, and hopefully the church is giving God saturated wisdom. Hopefully there are men and women in the church to whom you can turn for counsel. To what do we typically turn to for counsel? To whom do we typically turn for counsel? Our particular bents. Our what? Our particular bents. Bents. Okay. Okay, sins. We'll talk about the sins, but what about who? Who are some of the... Google. Google? (laughs) What? Friends. I talked to my friends. Rehoboam did that. That didn't go so good. Self-help books. The, the guru self-help, guru, 
psychologists, psychiatrists, um, and what are what are they going to tell you? If if they are not a biblical psychiatrist or psychologist, man, psychology and psychiatry is all over the map depending on what branch of or persuasion of psychology and psychiatry you're going into. So what are you going to get? Uh, that's that's uh, dangerous. Those are dangerous waters there. The things we'll turn to, drugs, drink, daring exploits, dames, games, you know, any, anything to take my mind off of that. If it gets so bad, depression gets so bad, ultimately we just go, this is dumb. It's, that is no joke. If somebody ever says that, you must absolutely take that as absolutely serious. Oh, I was only joking. Nah, man, you need to, you need, we need to talk. We need to talk, and you need to be there in that person's life at this time. It is very likely if you don't know somebody close to you who has taken this wretched step that you you may. Only in the God of purpose will such a person find hope to take the next breath and the next step. There are other problems with yourself and the Bible is replete with them. Pride, sloth, lust, rage, Rudeness, arrogance, indifference. Just flip through the New Testament. Don't do these things. These are battles that we are going to have to fight. Why do I have to fight these things? And it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. It goes back to our brokenness before the living God. What hope do we have? And these are the takeaways here. God will never leave you nor forsake you. That is what he said to his people. God calls us to follow hard after him to find our identity and our purpose in life. God calls us to obey him in trust to live a life of wellness and well-being that brings him glory and pleasure and brings us our greatest satisfaction. We think of obedience as, okay, I'm going to obey God. No, man, it is in obeying God that we are going to find who we were meant to be, how we are to operate properly. Fourth point, brokenness ain't going away. Not going away. But restoration is promised. One day, that song, One Day We Just Sang, oldie, oldie, old, 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 old song. One day, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. 
and we will be restored. Next week, uh, we're going to go Cain and Abel, and we are going to start moving into the flood. Probably two more weeks, we're going to kind of skim some of this and draw some highlights of why are we in the stew that we're in today, simply by looking back at those two events. Any thoughts or comments as we close here this morning? All right, you are dismissed. Thank you.